as I stand before you here this morning, I just want to savor this moment and declare the goodness of God and so glad to be back. In fact, as some of you were greeting me and your kind words, one gentleman here, Phil Fault, gave me the greatest compliment I've ever been paid. He says, Pastor Matt, you look taller than before. (laughs) How about that? So maybe I should have extended the sabbatical a little bit longer. Maybe Pastor Dan and I could see eye to eye then if I just, just one more week. No, thank you. God is good and I am so glad to be here back with you, worshiping with you and to open God's word with you. This summer, our Sunday morning series has, uh, has been titled Church Matters. And if you remember back to the month of June, I began by addressing who we are in Christ, our need to assemble together regularly, the diversity and the unity of our membership, and our call to be holy as God is holy. Then in my absence over the month of July, our pastors challenged us regarding evangelism and missions and discipleship and and leadership and worship in the church. As we've been addressing church matters this morning, I wanna address the matter of problems with people. Now, there's an old joke that is heard among pastors, and it is this. Church ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. And of course, church ministry is people ministry. And every church matter is a people matter, for we the people are the church. And no good pastor resents the people, but rather loves the people, yet at the same time, we recognize that churches have problems. And the problems in churches are generally people problems because people have problems and sometimes people are the problem. And so it's incumbent upon us as a local church to understand what the Bible teaches regarding problems with people in the church. How do we act and how do we react when there's a problem person or when a person has a problem? And I wanna address what might be considered a difficult church matter. I wanna address this from a collection of different scripture texts. So rather than my having you turn to one single place in your Bibles this morning and presenting an exposition of a single text, I want to point you to a number of different New Testament texts that give us instruction and direction regarding dealing with people. And we'll move quickly. You'll notice your notes there. There are seven different themes there as those those seven points will project the scripture on the screen so that we can make the most progress. But let's pause briefly for prayer. God in heaven, We thank you for being a good God. You are always good. And even during the dark and difficult days of our lives, we know that you are good and we're thankful for that. God, as we open the scriptures now and we consider perhaps some difficult themes, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher, would guide us in the truth and give us wisdom and understanding, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The query of our church matter this morning is how do we deal with, how do we deal with, number one, how do we deal with those who differ from us in the church as we regularly assemble as the church for the doxology of God and the discipleship of man, it is inevitable that there will be differences among us, disagreements among us over many things. You can insert your own issue right here 
that can become a problem. So how do we deal with those who differ from us? Colossians chapter three, verses 12 and 13, give us the instruction, therefore as the elect of God, as the church, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, here it is, bearing with one another. That bullet point there in your notes, we need to forbear with them. Fourth Baptist Church needs to be a place of space and grace for one another when we differ. Now, don't misunderstand. We are committed to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We will fight for the, the fundamentals of biblical orthodoxy. There is no room at Fourth Baptist Church for the preaching or the teaching of another gospel. However, in secondary or tertiary matters of difference among one another, we must forbear. And over the last couple of years, we've had to do a lot of this, specifically regarding uh, our, our COVID response. Is it masking or no masking? Is it vaxing or no vaxing? And I'm grateful that you have forbeared with one another and with, with me over those, those differences. You say, okay, pastor, this is an easy one. I'll forbear with my brother who differ, dif- differs from me. But what about my brother who does wrong against me? How do we deal with those who do wrong against us? Colossians chapter three continues the thought, therefore, as the elect of God, the church, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and here it is, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. How do we deal with those who do wrong against us? We forgive them. We forgive them. And folks, forgiveness is bringing the gospel to bear upon the relationships of our lives, whether it's in your home or in our church, every relationship, we must forgive those who have wronged us because we have been forgiven by Christ. And I don't want to overstate the matter, but I submit that forgiveness is the greatest solution to people problems in all of the history of people problems. In fact, I don't think I can overstate the matter. Forgiveness can transform you and your relationships with anyone. We forgive, we forbear, we forgive. Okay, but what if the problem, the people problem here in this place isn't between two people? What if the problem is one person alone? in that they are disobedient to the Lord. How do we deal with those who are disobedient to God? In this case, 2 Thessalonians 4 helps us. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, the word of God given through the apostles, note that person, do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. How do we deal with those who are disobedient? Now let me identify two important parts of of this instruction as you're looking at the scripture. First, on some level, our relationship with a disobedient brother is necessarily changed because they are living in disobedience to the Lord. It's not business as usual. Friendship and fellowship is necessarily broken and that separation may bring some shame to that one. But 
At the same time, second here, there is, this is to be done with very specific communication. We don't simply shun the disobedient, but we are to admonish the disobedient as a brother. The word admonish there is the Greek word nutheteo, from which we get the idea of nuthetic counseling. It's the biblical warning and wisdom that we would give to our family member because we love that one. And so I would tell us to admonish that one. Those who are disobedient to the Lord, admonish them. And and you say, well, what does that look like? I think you come alongside another and you put your proverbial arm around that other and say, bro, brother, family member, you are living or walking in disobedience to the Lord. I can't go with you in that direction. I will not go with you down that road. It's not easy, but it's, it's necessary. I want you to, to discuss this in your home Bible fellowship groups this Wednesday evening. But there's also a, another subcategory here. How do we deal with those who are disobedient to God? We admonish them as family, as, as brothers. But a second category, subcategory here, what, what if it isn't your Christian brother? What if it is your Christian leader? What if it is your pastor or your elder that's disobedient to the Lord. First Timothy 5 says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Don't just be slinging accusations and criticisms, but those elders who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that they also may fear. And so that second bullet point there under number three, rebuke them publicly. Now, every time that I hear of a preacher or a pastor or an elder who, who falls or who fails, I, uh, I have a complex of emotions. I first, of course, grieve the shame and the reproach that it, that it brings upon the, the cause of Christ. And then I, I get angry at the hypocrisy of one who, who makes righteous claims but then lives an unrighteous life. I get embarrassed at the, the public scandal of one in my own profession. How can a pastor, an elder, a preacher be disobedient to the Lord? And then I get afraid. I get afraid. And this is my fear. How is it that that highly successful spiritual man, maybe public profile, can err in such a way I'd better take heed to myself. But for the grace of God, there I would be also. And there is a place for the public rebuke of a disobedient spiritual leader. There are other people problems in the church. How about this one? How about number four? How do we deal with those who are divisive in the church? Romans 16, verse number 17, gives us the instruction. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. So what do we do with the people that are divisive, they're, they're causing divisions, they're fracturing the, the body, we, we avoid them. 
I think the New American Standard reads there, we turn away from them. And lest you think that this is an obscure incidental scripture, Paul says the same thing to Pastor Tim, Titus in, in stronger terms. He says in Titus chapter three, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition knowing that such a person is warped and, and sinning, being self-condemned. And so you might modify that bullet point, number four, not only avoid them, that'd be the Romans 16 text, but you could, you could change it to reject them. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, which is that, that Titus text there, Titus 3, 10 and 11. Now, this might generate a lot of conversation among us after the service on the way home or perhaps Wednesday evening in your small groups. But be careful as you talk through these Bible mandates, and I'll, I'll give you the, the reject them there on the screen. Um, be careful not to gossip, not to slander as you attempted to name names or, or circumstances or situations that you might reference. However, at the same time, I want you to discuss, to think through how does this, what does this look like and how do we practically exercise this in the, the church? But maybe it's not one who is divisive in the church, but um, rather one who leads a disorderly life. This is gonna be number five. How do we deal with those who are disorderly in life? These are categories of people that are identified for us in the New Testament as present among the New Testament church, churches. The one who is disorderly, 2 Thessalonians chapter three, describes the disorderly as lazy and idle. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. I've, I've underscored that, highlighted that, and not according to the tradition or the, the teaching, literally, which he has received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor do we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we may not be a burden to anyone or, or any of you. Not because we do not have authority. We are apostles. We are appointed by God as spiritual leadership in this day. We have authority. But to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us, for even when we were with you, we, were, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. What is the one who is disorderly among us? There's probably a number of ways one could behave disorderly, but here in this text, Paul is identifying the, the one who is disorderly as not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we commend, command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own Bread. And, and you may have missed it, but earlier on the previous screen in verse number six, we are told to withdraw from them. To withdraw from them. Now, at this point in our study this morning, uh, you may be feeling a bit of a reaction growing inside your mind and your, in your heart, and you object. Say, Pastor, welcome back, but this is the most unloving an uncaring message that I have ever heard. This is so Baptist or this is so separatist. This is the problem with churches that churches deal with problem people in these ways and I don't want any part of it. Do you, do you feel that? I felt some of that in, in, the, in the past week as I was preparing the, the message and studying these texts. 
But here's the answer that, that, or the question that you need to answer this week is, okay then, but what do we do with these Bible texts? What do we do with the, the scripture instruction? Talk about it this week. But let me give you some balance to relieve that tension. I've wound you tight. We're a bit uncomfortable. Let me release that a bit. How do we deal with those who are, are drawn away by sin? And we could identify any category of, of sin among us. We could point to the things that have just been mentioned or any other. Here's the scripture text, Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. I've underscored that. In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And, and simply put, we restore them. If there is a problem with a person or a person has a problem in the local church, what do we do with them? We restore them. James 5 adds this. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And when there are people problems in the church, we always want to pursue our brother to rescue and restore them to our right relationship with the Lord and with one another ourselves. And this should be happening all the time. In fact, this is the work of your pastors. And this is the work of our members. We need to make every effort to rescue one another from the sin that so easily besets us all, by the way. Carefully in Humility. But sometimes, unfortunately, there's not a right response to our efforts to rescue, to restore, to reach the wandering or the erring brother. And sometimes there are those who are defiant regarding their sin. How do we deal with those who are defiant regarding their sin? I know your notes are nearly complete, but there's much yet I want to teach. Before the church began, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus gave instructions regarding dealing with people who are defiant regarding their sin in the church. And it's a familiar passage in Matthew chapter 18. And again, for the sake of time, I'm not giving us occasion to to turn in our Bibles to each of these, but it's there before you projected. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. This is a difficult church matter. But I've underscored four steps that are outlined there in those verses. You see the first there in verse number 15. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I call this private confrontation. Now I don't have these as subpoints for you, but perhaps you want to capture these four steps somewhere there in your notes. There's private confrontation. And by the way, this should be happening all the time. If there is an offense, if there is a sin that's committed against you by a brother or sister within the church, go to that one and tell him of that between you and him alone, the private confrontation. But then secondly, in verse 16, it's underscored there, take with you one or two more. I call this collective intervention. 
After private confrontation is collective intervention. And your pastors are always willing to be part of this collective intervention or perhaps another godly man or woman, a mature believer that you can take with you to resolve that matter between you and your brother, collective intervention. Then you see third, there's a third step. If that one refuses to hear, there is in verse number 17, the Bible tells us to tell it to the church. I call that public information. And this is where we really recoil and we cringe at the notion that we would publicly share information about a matter. But it's a church matter. And at times, as awkward or as painful as it may be, it is told to the church. And then you see there at the end, if he refuses to respond rightly to the church, let, it be, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. What do we do with one who persists in unrepentant sin after working through this process? And by the way, these four steps can be exhausted over the course of time, months and months and months. Um, In many, many cases, we are to remove them. This is what we refer to, of course, as church discipline. There is a case study of this very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter number five, and and I'll put this before you here on the screen. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and specifically, the text describes that as, as something that's not even spoken of among the Gentiles, the incest of a man with his, his mother-in-law, and you are puffed up, and have not, or, or his his father, his stepmom, I'm sorry, and you, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. When you are gathered together along with my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the one who is defiant regarding their sin, we treat like a heathen and a tax collector and deliver to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What does that mean? That is a very weighty and heavy church matter. It was in 1 Timothy that Paul instructed the church at Ephesus to turn over Hymenaeus and Alexander because of their continued and unrepentant blasphemy. They were, and I quote, this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, to be delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And when we read the delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, we immediately think of death. But remember that Satan does not hold life and death in his hands. That's God's alone. Also remember that Satan has no possessing power over believers. And so when Satan attacked Job, he was only allowed to harm the man of God physically and materially. Satan could destroy possessions and afflict Job's body but not take his life. So, so delivering one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh is not to, to condemn him um, to death by Satan. Neither is it a matter of losing one's salvation. The true believer, if in fact that one is a true believer, has absolute assurance that he will be saved in the day of judgment. However, in the meantime, an unrepentant believer may be turned over to suffer greatly at the hand of Satan if in fact he is a a true believer. You say, wow, Pastor Matt, that's just heavy for your first week back, really? 
Why is all of this a necessary church matter? If we were to continue reading in 1 Corinthians 5, verses six through eight, I don't have it for you there on the screen. Paul gives us the warning and explains the reason why. And this is his reason. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We understand the influence of leaven or, or yeast in, in baking. It permeates the, the whole loaf of bread or, or the cake. And so an unrepentant sinner within a church, unrepentant sin will ferment and infect the whole. So in short, the reason for church discipline is because of the consequences of no discipline are devastating to the whole body and the infection of sin will spread until the whole body is disease, diseased. And for that reason, the removal of the leaven in our lives, individually or corporately, is to protect the purity of the whole lump. Bible teacher John MacArthur has explained it this way, a church that does not discipline a sinning member is like a person who has good reason to believe he has cancer, but who refuses to go to the doctor. Because he either does not want to face the problem or does not want to face the treatments, both of which are horrific the problem, and the treatment. If he waits too long, his whole body will be permeated with the disease and it will be too late for treatment to do any good. No church is healthy enough to resist contamination from persistent sin in its midst any more than the healthiest and most nutritious bushel of apples can withstand contamination from even a single bad one. And folks, along the way here at Fourth Baptist, we've had to dismiss some of our number Through this discipline, Lord willing, that will remain rare among us, but at the same time, it is necessary at times, and we are committed to it. It is a church matter. But let me conclude with one final way in which we are to deal with problems and people problems and people with problems in the church. And that's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. It's not there in your notes. You need to add it. It's there on the screen. I want to take the time to read it. We exhort you, brethren. This is Paul to the Thessalonian church. Warn those who are unruly. I think that's the stick of rebuke, of warning. Comfort the faint-hearted. That's the carrot of, of comfort and And by the way, there are some among us who may be unruly. There are some among us that maybe are faint-hearted. They need rebuke and comfort. Uphold the weak. That's support those among us who are weak. And here's that final phrase. Be patient with all. Be patient with all. The people problems in the church or the problems that you have with people in the church, be patient with one another. There on the back of your notes, I've copied a poem. It's titled The Airing. It says this, think gently of the airing. You know not of the power with which the dark temptation came in some unguarded hour. You may not know how earnestly they struggled or how well until the hour of weakness came and sadly thus they fell. Think gently of the erring. Do do not now forget, however darkly stained by sin, he is your brother yet. Heir of the selfsame heritage, child of the selfsame God, he has but stumbled in the path which you in weakness trod. 
speak gently to the erring. You yet may lead them back with holy words and tones of love from misery's thorny track. Forget not you have sometimes sinned and sinful yet may be. Deal gently with the erring then as God has dealt with thee. How has God dealt with you? With mercy and grace and forgiveness and love over and over and over again. And my desire for us here at Fourth Baptist Church is that when we have problems, and we will, when we have people problems, and we will, we we address them biblically. We confront sin, calling our brother to repent and forsake their sin, taking the action detailed in, in these verses if necessary. At the same time, we comfort the sinner with the good news of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness and unconditional love, and we seek to rescue and restore that one. That's how we deal with problems, people problems in the church. And then this final, final question for you to ask yourself this morning and in the, the months and the years to come, what if I am that one? What if I am that person with a problem? Or what if I am the problem? What do we do? Come to your pastors. We want to help you and encourage you. Go to one another, your brothers and sisters in this place. Find restoration or reconciliation. Go to God who will grant forgiveness and as the good father of the prodigal son will welcome you home. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, thank you for loving your church as you have. Lord, we're all just people with feet of clay. And Lord, at times we're a problem. Even this pastor is a problem and has problems. I ask God that you will help us as a church to address these matters biblically, graciously, lovingly. I pray God that we would be a a place not of no problems, but a place that is so filled with the mind of Christ, with the word of Christ, that we can exercise the character of Christ in love toward one another. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.